Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be together. That was enthusiastic. I appreciate that. I hope that I hope it was that strong at other locations. Uh, shout out to everybody watching at different locations, watching online. Uh, it's a joy to be together today, and we are in a series called "The Beauty of Faith," uh, where we're studying the book of James. And so we're going to pick back up in James chapter three. But before we do that. Last week, uh, I know many of you were here, some of you weren't here, maybe you watched online, but you may remember uh, uh, Pastor David preaching uh, really about the responsibility and opportunity we have, particularly as Christians, to care for the poor. And he really challenged us in some specific ways to invest in care for the vulnerable, those who are under-resourced, those who are in need. And so we uh, kind of called us to kind of across all of our locations to partner together with Compassion International. And I just wanted to give you an update uh, to really praise God for his grace in our church. Um, Last week, over 1,750 children in poverty as a result of your giving. uh, Yeah, I didn't even tell you what yet, but yeah, you can clap, yeah. So listen, over 1,700 children in poverty are going to receive food, medical care, education, and most importantly, the gospel in 27 countries around the world through your response to God's word. On on top of that, we were also able to give tens of thousands of dollars to help people in need across the D.C. area uh, through the different ministry partnerships that we have across all of our different locations. So each of our locations last Sunday shared, we kind of dreamed up where our needs and we really met some significant needs. Um, And so I'm gonna give you an opportunity again to celebrate again, uh, because you celebrated prematurely, but that was good. but, uh, but the reason I, I, I want to just pause is because I don't want us to take for granted, one, just God's grace in our church, but also the fact that we are in a position as a church in one Sunday, just in response to one sermon, to do all of that for over 1,700 kids. Imagine what it's like for us as a church family to live that way week in and week out, Amen. right? So let's thank God and praise God for his grace in our church last week. Let's really give it up this time for everything that he did through our church family. And we will continue to update you on ways that we want to serve our city and serve uh, the most vulnerable around our world. Uh, And uh, man, I'm just really proud of our church and thankful for the ways that God uh, moved and praying he'll get a lot of glory out of it. So we were talking last week uh, and have uh, been talking about stewarding our money, stewarding our financial resources in ways that honor God and honor other people. Well, the passage we're going to study today is also about stewardship, but it's about our stewardship of something else, something just that significant, maybe even more impactful in a lot of ways. And before we dive into it, let me illustrate it this way. A good friend of mine, one of my closest friends, Jordan Rice, is a pastor, Renaissance Church in Harlem, New York, and he turned 40 last year, and we got a chance to go and be a part of his 40th birthday celebration that his wife threw for him. So this is New York City. It was a vibe, right? It was a lot of people. It was a great time. Uh, and then during that party, it's a ton of people there, his wife kind of paused everybody, got everybody's attention, and, uh, and, and had asked specific people to share encouraging words uh, with, with Jordan. A lot of people said a lot of different, kind, encouraging, inspiring things, but there was this one moment, the last moment, where she gave the floor to his dad. 
His dad had been uh, going through some really significant health issues. At this point, he was using a walker. And so his dad, and I sound like I'm making it dramatic. It was a dramatic moment. His dad is like, while he was kind of toward the back, walking with a walker. It was like the Red Sea, like people parting for his dad to come to the middle of the room where Jordan was. You could hear a pin drop as his dad was making his way to the front. His dad got to the front, took the microphone, and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and walked away. Jordan was doing like the shoulder bop cry. You know, like the uncontrollable cry. Everybody in the room, I don't even cry, but I felt that feeling you feel when you're about to cry, when it just burns, right? It's like everybody was crying in the room. Why? Because of the significance of one phrase, one sentence. Words matter. We know that intuitively. We know that words matter. We also know what it's like, right, not just to hear or speak those kind of life-giving words, but we know what it's like when we say something that we, like, immediately regret, like that time when I saw an old classmate out in D.C., and I knew from social media that she had been pregnant, so I saw her and I asked her when the baby's due. The problem was she'd already had the baby. Those are moments. You can't, you can't take that back. You can't take it back, right? We've been there before. Now, here's the thing. The, the power of words goes all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. Because God, our creator, he speaks. And he creates through his words. Let there be light. There was light. He speaks into a void. He brings things into existence and brings order out of chaos. He speaks and he made us in his image. So he made us to be able to communicate. And we don't have the same kind of creative power that God has, but we do have power in our words. And I I make that distinction. It is important because there is a trend kind of right now that, that we can kind of manifest our future through our words. And I don't want to minimize the power of our words. We'll see this, but I do want to clarify the power of our words, that we do not have the same power of God when we speak. So here's the thing. God is not bound by our words. God is bound to his word. God is not bound. It's not like we just speak and the universe adapts to our words. No, God is the sovereign creator. He's the king of kings. He is the ruler over time and space and history and all of that. And so God is bound to not our words, but he's bound to his words. And so to the extent that we align with his word, yes, yes, we can activate God's power in some very real ways. But even outside of that, out of a religious context, our words matter. They matter. You think about the impact of these simple words or the lack of of these words in your life. Look, think about these words. I see us more as friends. That's not, that's not what you wanna hear. It's not what you wanna hear. 
I love you. I'm proud of you. I do. Thank you. Congratulations, you've been accepted. I'm sorry. Maybe it's, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going in a different direction. Or I'm sorry, we did the best we could, but she didn't make it. Words matter. They can change a situation like that. And God has given us words. He's given us the ability to communicate, to build up, or to tear down. And listen, here's the thing. Some of us have said some hurtful words. All of us have said hurtful words. Some of us are guilty not because We've said the wrong thing, but because we refuse to speak up and say the right thing. So we look at the impact of words all around us. We look at the drama. We look at the unrighteousness. We look at the injustice and we say nothing. Some of us, some of us here, some of us watching, we carry the wounds of careless hurtful words that were spoken to us. You're 44 years old. You're 62 years old. And your life is still in so many ways shaped by words that were spoken to you or spoken over you when you were a child. And for some of you, it's the opposite. It's not the words that were spoken to you. It's the words that were not spoken to you and should have been spoken to you. Because I already know that when I shared that opening example about Jordan's dad, that hit some of you differently because you heard that and immediately you felt in your body, you felt, I wish, I wish my dad would say something like that to me. Words matter. And so James in this letter addresses our words. And I want to read from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then we're going to unpack it and see what God has to say to us. James chapter 3, let me read from verse 1. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Before we unpack, why don't we pray? And why don't you just take 10 seconds and ask God to speak to your heart personally through his word? Father, we pray, God, that you would not only speak to our hearts, but would you work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we see here is the power of our words. James illustrates the power of our words with three images, a bridle, a rudder, and a fire. Verse 3, he says, if we put bits or a bridle into the, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And I know when you, you, you ride a horse for the first time, it's very difficult for you to believe that. <laughs> when, you, when you get on a horse, you're like, I don't, I don't really know about this, right? Because it doesn't make sense. James' point is, is, is clear. It's, it's profound. The, the average horse weighs about 1,000 pounds. And yet this little piece of equipment that weighs less than two pounds can control it. He's making the same point in verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. They're large and driven by strong winds, and yet they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So just like a small bit or a small rudder, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. In other words, it has a significant track record. The tongue is small but powerful. And more specifically to James' point, our words are powerful. Our words are intangible. They don't have any mass or weight, and yet words can have an impact that goes far beyond their size. And here's the thing, like we've already talked about, we get to decide whether we will use our words to build up or to tear down, to spread the truth or to distort it, to serve others or to serve ourselves. And that decision, sometimes just a split second reaction can have devastating consequences. And that's why James also compares the tongue to a fire. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, by a spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. You understand that, right? Because listen, if you say something at your job, that's crazy, your boss is not just going to fire your tongue. Your entire body is going to have to leave the premises, okay? Your tongue affects, it stains, it corrupts, it defiles, it derails your entire body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set 
on fire by hell. It, there's more going on to your words, which we'll get to. Just like a small fire, our words can cause, this is James' point, can cause profound damage. And we know this. You just think about gossip. You say, well, what exactly is gossip? Let me tell you. Gossip is sharing information that damages another person's reputation with people who don't need to know. See, that's the key. We're not talking about you're a mandatory reporter. We're not talking about, no. We're talking about you're, you're sharing information that damages another person's reputation with people that don't even need to know. And we've created entire industries around gossip and we find it entertaining. What about making fun of people? I'm not talking about like, you know, a little bit of fun. Maybe I am. Because we can make fun of people and, and we think it's all in fun and we don't even realize the damage that we're doing. We think this is an issue just for teenagers or whatever. No, it's not. We, we do this all the time. We make fun of, of people or, or those kinds of people. And we do damage. What about words that are angry and mean? Can I be honest? I feel like I ask that a lot in my sermons and y'all don't really respond. And then I'm just going to, yes. I'm going to do it anyway. We can keep doing this, right? Can I be honest? Let me be honest. Yes. So like a month ago, it was like the worst morning of 2023. Kids are going crazy. We all woke up late, although it was earlier than I would like to wake up. We're rushing. Everything is crazy. I'm already stressed because of work. Y'all be stressing us out, okay? Because of work, right? I'm stressed. There's just a lot going on. You know how it is. You know the emails you have to respond to. You know the things you got to do. So I'm already stressed and squeezed and pressured. And, and my kids are acting nuts. They're arguing over dumb stuff. They're just, it's just crazy. And I can hear them downstairs. And I'm upstairs. I'm trying to get it together. I'm trying to get them out the door. And I, I know the things that I have to do. And y'all, I'll just be totally honest with you. I literally yelled, shut up. Now, here's the thing. We don't talk like that in my family. We literally don't. That's, that's me and my, we, that's our rule that we set. We don't talk like that in our family. And I was so stressed out and overwhelmed and then frustrated that I broke my own rule. And you know what happened? Immediately when I said, and I said, I did it on purpose. I'll be honest. Can I be honest? This is a real honest pastor moment. I did it on purpose because I knew it was like the nuclear bomb. It was like the red button. I knew I could shut everything down. And I did. And you know what happened? Immediately my son burst into tears. My daughter literally walked out of the house because she was so deeply hurt. She's never hurt me. Yo, shut up. And listen, I don't, I don't share that because I'm proud of it. It's actually really embarrassing for me to share that. Here's why I share that. 
I share that just to highlight the reality. Christian families are not perfect families. And every single one of us, we've said things that cause damage. And sometimes we do it unintentionally. We know what that's like. We say things we didn't know it was going to come off like that or have that kind of effect. It's unintentional. That's true for all of us. We know what that's like. But as I was praying through this, just felt the Holy Spirit like you need to lean in on this pastorally because I think there are some of us who are more prone to cause unintentional damage because of our personality type or because of the unhealthy ways we've learned to communicate. So let me lean in on that for a second. And before I do that, let me come back to my story for a second. I pulled my, the whole family together. We were very late to school, and I just had to really, like, have a little come-to-Jesus moment with our family. I was going to bring that up at the end, but I'm like, y'all going to be sitting here this whole time like, I can't listen to nothing you're saying, you sinner. <laughs> I repented, okay? As far as the east is from the west. All right. Let me lean in, because sometimes we can do unintentional damage And for some of you, this might not apply. Others, maybe the Holy Spirit will use this to make you more self-aware. Let me give you an illustration. You know how when you're cooking, like bacon, like good, like good bacon, like, like on the stove bacon, you know what I mean? Um, greasy bacon. And, and, the, and the, the pan is too hot, the grease gets too hot, and it starts popping grease out and like burning you. That's what it's like to be around some of y'all. Now, I don't, I don't know you, but I'm speaking on behalf of some of the people around you. You're not self-aware. You, you, don't, you don't know how much damage you cause with your words. Let me, so let me give you some examples. Some of you are abrasive with your words. In biblical terms, harsh. And some of you just chalk it up the personality type or the part of the country you grew up in. Some of you even see it as a strength and everybody else is just weak and overly sensitive. But here's the thing. Harshness is not a strength. It's sin. Amen. You are not just responsible for what you say. You're also responsible for saying it in a way that honors people and honors God. Amen. How about sarcasm? It's funny to you. But look at what Proverbs 12, 18 says. It says, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Some of you don't even realize in your sarcasm that you pierce people. How about criticism? For some of you, it's just a critical spirit. You're just, you're just, I'm not, I'm not talking about constructive criticism or like your performance review. Don't go tell your boss, but my pastor said, no, do your job, show up on time. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm talking about a chronic habit of constantly pointing out other people's flaws. And for some of you, listen, some of you, it is just a critical spirit you just mean. But for some of you, you're not even trying to be critical per se. It's just kind of become your love language. 
you, you don't even, you honestly don't even know how to encourage people. It's too intimate, too emotionally vulnerable for you. You didn't really grow up in an environment like that. I remember with, with, with my wife, I grew up with like all dudes, and it doesn't mean dudes can't encourage. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I just grew up with, we just didn't really do a lot of that soft, emotional, feely communication type stuff, right? So I remember when I get, I'm dating and I hang out with my parents' family, and her dad is very different. Her mom, very different. Their family environment, very different. I remember being over there one day and them going around and just, literally doing affirmations, like all going around and encouraging each other. I literally, we're dating. I literally text my family in real time and was like, y'all, they are over here encouraging each other. (laughs) This is weird. Some of y'all, you don't, it's too emotionally vulnerable and intimate for you. And so listen, you've learned to relate to people by pointing out or joking about their flaws. And you don't realize how often you are cutting them down, how often you are bursting their balloon, how often you are deflating their hearts and their souls. It's not even something you realize, but it causes unintentional damage. And for us as parents, so many of us, we create a toxic environment for our kids because your criticism to encouragement ratio is so out of whack. You suffocate your kids because the encouragement that they need to hear from you, they just always hear what they're doing wrong. And you don't mean it, and I don't mean it, but it causes damage nonetheless. It can be unintentional and yet profoundly harmful. Some of you might remember back in 2020, there was a gender reveal party, and the couple, you know the gender reveal, they keep getting creative. Well, they used some type of pyrotechnic device right, to like shoot off this thing that would like show blue or show pink. What they didn't know was that sparks were going to come out and a spark landed on dry brush. This was in San Bernardino, uh, California. That spark turned into a fire that burned for 23 days. It burned down close to 23,000 acres, destroyed five homes and 15 other buildings, and claimed the life of a firefighter, Charlie Morton. It was unintentional, but it was absolutely devastating and destructive. Our words can cause profound damage. And so here's my question for you. Where have you intentionally or unintentionally caused damage with your words. In your friendships or your ex-friendships, in your family, in your marriage, on social media. We need to be aware of the power of our words, but we also need to be aware of the, the danger of our words. That's the second thing we see here, the danger of our words. And we've already talked about this on a human level, but Our words aren't just dangerous because of how they can offend others. The real danger is the fact that our words can offend God. 
And that's how James starts this passage in verse one and two. And that's why I moved it down a bit because I want us to feel the weight for a moment to really understand what we're talking about here. James addresses the spiritual danger involved in teaching God's word, but his warning applies to all of us. Look at what he says in verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man also able to bridle his whole body. Here's what James is saying. He's saying all of us are prone to sin with our words. As Pastor Derek Thomas put it, no part of us is in a more slippery place than the tongue. It's just so easy for us to sin and, and do harm with our words. That's why Proverbs uh, 10, 19 says, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent, is wise. The more words there are, the higher the chance we'll say something sinful. That's true for all of us in just our everyday normal conversations. So imagine how true it is for people that talk for a living. Or imagine how much risk there is for a person who stands and claims to speak on behalf of God. You say, well, Mike, that's, that's what you're doing. I know. I, do, I know. I am aware. I am nervous. Someone who's been given the responsibility to teach God's word. And listen, this is why we can't just evaluate Bible teachers based on how funny or gifted or popular they are. We need to evaluate Bible teachers based primarily on their content. Like, does their teaching help you understand the Bible better? Not just make you feel better. Does it help you understand the Bible better? Does it align with clear, historic, accurate interpretation of Scripture? And as we've been studying in James, do they actually practice what they preach? Not perfectly, but genuinely and consistently. Does their lifestyle, does their character, does their reputation demonstrate a life that is surrendered to Jesus? Because listen, that's how God is going to evaluate every person who claims to be a teacher of his word. James says we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's not that we will be held to a different standard. Preachers are just Christians with a microphone. The difference is that we will not only be held accountable for what we believe and how we live, as teachers in the church, we will also be held accountable for how we influence what other people believe and how we influence the way they live. And y'all, I spent, as a teacher of God's word, I spent a lot of time, I had to pause here and just spend some time reflecting on this for my own life. And I don't have time to share out of all of that, but I do want to mention these things quickly because, listen, here's where some teachers go wrong. And you got to listen out for this. This is why you got to know your word. Because there are some teachers of God's word that are teaching things that God has not said. There are people who claim to be teachers of God's word who are promising things that God has not promised. Some who are requiring things that God has not required. It's called legalism. 
and it ties up heavy burdens on people in ways that God has given them freedom. And so I turn a personal conviction or a cultural conviction or a denominational conviction into the inspired word of God. And I make that a divine standard for everybody. There are teachers that are blessing things that God has not blessed. Can you imagine what it, what it, the anger God must feel when somebody takes his stamp of approval and puts it on things that he does not approve? This is what teachers are doing all over the world. And here's the thing, here's the thing. James' warning isn't just for people who want to be teachers. His warning applies to all of us. Yes, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. But listen to what Jesus said. I think this is one of the scariest passages in the whole Bible. Listen to what he said, Matthew 12, 36. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Let that sink in. Every careless word. There are things that you've said to waiters and waitresses that you have forgotten. And God has not forgotten. Think of the things that you've said. Let's just start with people that you claim to love. How much more are the things you've said about people that you don't even like? Think about the thing, and then think about what Jesus said. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And you should feel a tension at this point, right? Because good gospel people are going to feel this tension. Wait, Mike, are you saying, or is Jesus saying, right, that, that we're, we're, we're saved by the way we speak? No, this is not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is the same thing James has been saying in this letter, that your words are part of the evidence, the testimony that actually validate what you profess to believe. So you're not simply judged on the basis of what you intellectually say you believe or what you say in nice church circles. No, God is smarter than that. We can fool other people. We cannot fool God. God knows the true condition of our hearts, and it gives evidence in the way we live our lives and the way we use our words. God takes our words so seriously, much more seriously than we realize. Our words can cause profound damage, but they're dangerous not just because they cause damage to people. They're dangerous because everything that we allow to come out of our mouths is heard by God, and we will have to give an account to him. And so some of you, you realize that. You feel the weight of that. Off the top, there were things that you're like, man, I can't believe I've said this. Some of us are sitting beside our spouse knowing, knowing the damage that we've caused and continue to cause. 
Some of us know how we ended that friendship, the way we cut off that family member and the things that we said in our frustration or in our anger. Some of us know the way we've been misleading. We, that we, we know the lie that's still out there right now that we have not clarified, that we have not circled back on and told the truth about. We know. And there are some of us that hear that and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we don't want that to be the case. We, we don't want to speak words that do damage. We don't want to speak words that offend the God who created us and loved us. We want to change. And the question is, how do you change? Well, if you want to change, listen, I got bad news for you and good news for you. And the bad news is right here in verses 7 and 8. And it has to do with the source of our words. Look at what James says. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no, one, no human being can tame the tongue. That's the bad news. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Let me ask you a question. When the last time your tongue got tired? Exactly. You know how you kick your feet up when you come home? Nobody comes home and is like... I just, need to, I just need to, like, lay my tongue out and just rest my tongue. No. I actually did research on this. It's because of a whole muscular thing. I don't have time to get into it, right? But your tongue has incredible stamina. It just, it doesn't get tired, <laughs> okay? And he's using that as a metaphor that our, our speech is a restless evil. We're constantly using words all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's so easy for sin to slip in to those words. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And listen, verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is using illustrations from his Mediterranean context. It would have been so familiar to people at that time. And what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, a spring that produces fresh water and salt water, a fig that produces olives, here's his point. His point is not just that's unnatural. His point is everybody knows that's unnatural. Everybody knows that's unnatural. And so James says, so imagine a Christian that produces praise and gossip. Imagine a Christian that quotes scripture and cusses people out. Everybody knows that's unnatural. Now, some of you are like, okay, unnatural, it may be, but that is me. <laughs> yeah, to some degree, it's all of us. James is writing to Christians, and he's exposing the deep inconsistency that exists in the human heart, the contradiction of the words we profess about God and then the words we use 
when we talk to and about other people who have been made in his image. James is saying something here, and this is where we start to get to the good news, right? Because he's cluing us into something in terms of how we change. James is saying your words are telling you something. They're telling you something. There's something deeper going on, and here's what your words are telling you. Listen, a tongue problem is ultimately a heart problem. And James learned this from Jesus. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is just saying what he learned from Jesus, that we say things that come out of our heart. It is not just because of the situation. It's not just because of somebody that made you angry. It is something that was provoked and pulled out of your own heart. Your words are telling you something. It's just like if you drive and your car is pulling hard to the left. What are you going to say? You're going to say, it must be my hand position. I'm not at 10 and 2. No. It must be the steering wheel. I knew I should have got that wood grain. No. the prop. You have to actually open that hood, or if you're like me, take it to somebody who can open that hood and actually get down underneath to the actual source of the problem. It's in the axle. If you're a mechanic and that's not correct, just go with it, okay? It's, 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 the point is, it's beneath the surface, right? Your words are telling you something. Your words are telling you, your sinful, hurtful, careless, dishonoring words are telling you that there is something wrong in your heart. There's something off, out of alignment in your heart. There's something that is deeply inconsistent in your heart. And it could be telling you one of two things. It could be telling you, right, that you have not been born again. That if you just keep playing church games and nothing changes in the way that you talk, Your words might be indicating that you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have not actually come fully surrendered into a relationship with God through Jesus. But your words could also be telling you like Paul in Romans 7 who says, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? It could be telling you that even as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit, that we still battle against the flesh and we have this sinful nature. And we get to choose. We get to choose whether our heart is under the control of the Holy Spirit and we bear the fruit of the Spirit or whether in a moment of anger or frustration or entertainment or whatever, we allow our hearts to be controlled by our sin nature. And if you allow your heart to be controlled by your sin nature, what is going to come out is death and not life. What is going to come out is dishonor and disrespect, not honor. What is going to come out is that which ultimately not just offends God, offends people, but offends God. Your words are telling you something. And so you got to learn how to do the work of figuring out what's up underneath those words. So let's take gossip, for example. You got to ask yourself, why do I enjoy gossip? That's the deeper issue. 
Why do I enjoy talking about somebody's downfall? Why is that entertaining to me? Why do I feel that impulse when I'm sitting around dinner with my friends to be like, hey, did y'all hear? It doesn't affect their life in any way. It doesn't edify in any way. It doesn't clarify in any way. There's just something in our hearts that is warped and wicked that loves the juicy details of somebody's life that's crumbling. There's something in our hearts. That moment of anger for me with my kids, what was happening in my heart? You know what it was? What was happening in my heart is that I wanted to be in control more than I wanted God to be in control. You know what's happening in my heart? That I just wanted peace, and that wasn't a bad desire. I'm stressed out. I just wanted peace. But I allowed that desire to get so strong that I desired peace more than I desired to please God. And so I took control of myself, and I said, I know how to get peace. I don't have to let God be in control and be sovereign. I don't have to be Christ-like and trust God to actually work in this situation. I know I can get peace right now. I can make everybody be quiet. That's something wicked and idolatrous in my heart. Your words are telling you something. The bad news is no human being can tame the tongue because the issue of the tongue is ultimately down in our hearts. And we can't change our own hearts. We cannot tame the tongue, but God can tame the tongue. God can change the way we talk. Why? Because God can change our hearts. And that is the good news of the gospel. It is that we are forgiven of our sin. It is that Jesus came and lived a perfectly righteous life. His words were always honoring. His words were always life-giving. His words always aligned with the will of his Father in ways that we failed to do. And he went to the cross, not because he has spoken sinful words, but because we have. And he paid the penalty for our sin, and he rose from the grave. So we can be forgiven of the things that we've said. There is hope and redemption and grace and mercy for those words that we've said that have offended people and offend God. There is forgiveness. But the gospel doesn't stop. Stop there because God doesn't just leave us forgiven. God promises the good news that he, by his spirit, will also begin to change us from the inside out. And so you and I have to learn how to come before him and to pour our hearts out to him and invite him to change us at the root so that we bear different fruit. Amen. So listen, as we prepare to close, I just want to give you some handles. Because what do you do with this? I want to give you just a couple of things. And these aren't steps. I know we like step one, step two. These aren't steps. These are practices. These are practices as it relates to our words. And they might not, all of them may not apply to you. Maybe they're just one that that really resonates and you're like, this is the one I need to hold before God in prayer. This is the one I need to think about and I need to, I need to really put into practice. And I'm going to give you these quickly. Here's the first one. Stop. Stop. Some of us need to just stop talking. Some of us need to stop typing. Because some of us got trigger fingers. And we will, our email... We are email assassins. Oh, I know, because somebody sent me a kind of a spicy email last week, and I, I had a response in 27 seconds. But you know what I've learned? 24 hours. 
go ahead, type the response. Maybe not in the email thing with their name because then you could accidentally hit send prematurely. <laughs> Maybe type it in like your Apple notes or something like that. Type the response and then don't send it for 24 hours. Stop yourself. Maybe in the midst of an argument, you just need to stop and just say, hey, this is important for us to talk about and, and I want to talk about it. I just don't want to do unnecessary damage or say something I'm going to regret. I, I really need to just stop just for a moment. And you need to give yourself time to back up and allow the Holy Spirit to take control instead of your flesh. Some of us just need to stop. Reflect. You got to learn to reflect on your words to allow the Holy Spirit to show you what's up underneath it. It's the only way you're going to heal. It's the only way you're going to do the type of repentance at a, at a heart level that's going to produce lasting change. And so here's a way for you to reflect. Why did I say that? And why did I say it that way? And unfortunately, this is going to be in the rearview mirror. But this is to help you learn and prevent the next time. Maybe you need to journal it. Maybe you just pray about it. Maybe you process it in your church group. You actually confess. I said this at work. I said this to my spouse. I said this to my friend at school. I'm not even sure why I said that or said it that way. And you begin to reflect and process. And you, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, in a sense, Psalm 139, Holy Spirit, search me. Help me understand what's going on underneath the surface. Apologize. It's not a one-time thing. This is a practice. It's a habit. Some of you need to get better at apologizing. And for some of you, this needs to be your first step from this message. To apologize and confess to God. And then you need to go apologize to that person. And maybe you said some things to somebody who's passed away and you're not able to make it right with them, but you can make it right with God. And then here's the last thing. And this might be the most important thing. Encourage. Encourage. The reason why God calls us away from sinful words is because he's calling us toward righteous, life-giving words. And we need to develop the... Pre Listen, if you see something, say something. If you see something good in the world, you see something good in another person, what if you became a master and became known for pointing out that good and encouraging and affirming those things that are true in other people around you? What would it look like for a community of Christians to be known for that? To be like, those are some, I mean, they, they, they believe some things I don't necessarily believe, and they really do stand on their convictions, but they are some of the most encouraging people I've ever met in my life. They disagree with the way I live. They disagree with what I believe. They disagree with what I post. But good gracious, they are so encouraging and kind and life-giving. They seem to always find a way to, to highlight something that is praiseworthy and good speak life. What if you saw your words as seeds that God has given you to sow into his world? And you can sow seeds that ultimately reap damage and destruction. Or, and this is the beauty of faith when it comes to our words, that God has given you the ability to sow seeds everywhere you go that have the potential by God's grace to blossom into something beautiful and life-giving and God-glorifying. And you may not even see the impact in the moment, but we all know what it's like 
to have somebody say something to us that we needed to hear so desperately. It was life-giving for us. And maybe they didn't even realize it. But you begin to live in the reality of that one encouraging, truthful word. And it changes the trajectory of your life. So I want to leave you with this verse to pray. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray between you and the Lord. We're going to put this verse up on the screen here and online and at our different locations. And I want to give, just give you space. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to pray for help. But just let this one verse frame your prayer. And then after that, I or one of the pastors at your location is going to close us out. Here's the prayer. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Take a moment between you and the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and that you've invited us to bring our hearts and our words before you, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, we pray that the the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to you. Lord, we thank you for the words that you have spoken to us and revealed to us in your word, Lord. And I pray for those who have been damaged by words. We all have those who have trauma and wounds. Lord, I pray that your words would become truer to them and more real to them than the words that have caused them damage. Would you heal? And God, for those who do not have a saving relationship with you, Lord. I pray, God, that the word of the gospel, the greatest news in the world, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will open their eyes and open their heart, not just to hear, but to believe and to receive that gift of grace. And that you would save them, Father. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.